Good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at S. As we said earlier, we are in part two of a series called Busy, Busy, Busy. And if you missed last week, please make sure that you go online to our YouTube page and get caught up because we set the foundation for this series. And before I continue, I want to start today by asking a very serious question. I need everyone to think, put, put on their thinking caps here today to answer this question. Whether you're sitting here in front of me here, whether you're across the way in Arlington or watching in the comfort of your own home, Everyone needs to answer this very important question as we begin today, and the question is this. <clears throat> if you could have any superpower in the whole wide world, what would you have? If you could have any superpower in the whole wide world, have you ever been asked this question? You ever thought about this? I have spent, unfortunately, many, 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 many hours, by this time, days, having this discussion from all the way back when we were kids. So this question on the surface, if you could have any superpower, what would you have? I know it sounds simple, and it sounds like, yeah, of course I would choose this, but because I've discussed this subject at length over years, let me tell you, it's not as simple as it sounds. First, when we were little kids, when we were back in uh, elementary school, the superpower we wanted was strength, like Incredible Hulk, because we wanted to be good at sports, we wanted every shot to be a home run, we wanted every shot uh, in soccer to be a goal, we wanted to be the strongest kids in the whole wide world. That was when we were in, in elementary school. Eventually, we got to middle school and high school, and we hit puberty, and then all of a sudden, we wanted, sorry to say, x-ray vision. That was the, 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 the superpower of choice, and you could probably figure out why middle school boys would like x-ray vision, but let's move on, okay? Eventually, we made it to college, and we went to college. We said, we don't care about any of that stuff. The best superpower that you can have, maybe you've thought this, is the ability to read other people's minds. It would be very helpful during the final exams, okay, if you're sitting next to some of the smarter kids. But then the problem with that one we discussed is, because it'd also be nice to know what people think about you, but then we thought about it, it's probably not so nice to know what everyone thinks about you. That might cause you more harm than you realize. Eventually, I matured, and I graduated, and I became a consultant. I worked as an IT consultant for two years before, two and a half years before priesthood, and there we were able to have much more mature discussions about what your greatest superpower would be if you could have any choice. Now, for those who are not from D.C., okay, I know we have a lot of people who come from other places and people watching online from all parts of the world, and you say, what's a consultant? If you're from D.C., you don't flinch when someone says consultant, but for people from other parts of the country, they say, like, what's a consultant? And what does a consultant do? And the problem is, because as a consultant, do we have any consultants here? We have, probably have a handful of consultants. Okay, we got a few. The problem is, we as consultants, we don't really know. We don't really have an answer to that. So I was trying to think, like, when someone asked me, like, what'd you do as a consultant? I came up with three things that I did a lot of. I sent a lot of emails, that's for sure. If you're a consultant, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, and a lot of emails about meetings, setting them up, who's free when, okay, and especially now with the Zoom things. So just a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, a lot of emails about meetings. The other thing that I did as a consultant, maybe unique to me, is I learned how to juggle, okay, when I was a consultant. Not juggle metaphorically. Juggle, literally. Okay, we learned how to, we taught ourselves how to juggle. Life wasn't as much pressure back then. But also, one of the things that we did is we discussed this at length. We had like a year-long discussion about superpowers, and we had the whiteboard, and we put them all up there, and the pros and cons of different superpowers. So I am going to, you're welcome, I'm going to let you know the summary of months and months and months of discussion about if you were ever posed this question, a genie comes to you and says, any superpower you can have, here's your top three answers in descending order, or in ascending order, from number three first. The number three superpower is the one that most people would, right off the bat, think is the number one, which is the ability to fly. 
That's what most people would say, especially if you live in a high traffic area. The ability to fly, it sounds great. You beat the traffic, but it's not as practical as it sounds. Again, if you dig a little bit deeper into it, okay, first of all, the weather is going to be an issue. So like on a day like today, it's raining outside. So you're going to a wedding. Like I'm driving, I got a three hour drive to a wedding after this finishes right here. Am I just gonna go into the wedding and drip, dripping wet? Like so, and then there's the bugs. What's gonna happen with the bugs? And for sure, if you could fly, all of your friends would come to you and mooch rides off of you and say, please just, just take me over to work real quick. I'm running late. So it's not as practical as it sounds. Number two, this is the one that I actually suggested. The number two superpower that you could have the ability to have, think about this, the ability to have the perfect comeback no matter what anyone says. You already have that, right? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that no matter what anyone says, what your boss says, what your kids say, what your wife says, what anyone says, you automatically have the perfect response. Like how many times have we gotten home, we put our, our, our bag down, we take off our shoes and we're like, ah, I wish I had said. Well, if you had the superpower, you would never say, I wish I had said. You would always have the perfect comeback. That's a great superpower. But the number one superpower, the best one to have, I would say you see if you agree with me. The number one superpower to have would be the ability to control time. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Imagine you're running late, no problem, add an hour. <laughs> you have some, a difficult season, okay, no problem, fast forward the season. You're pregnant, just whoop, shoot to the very end of it, okay, bypass labor altogether. You could add a weekend whenever you want. You could remove a, a deliverable date. Like, you could do whatever you want. The ability to control time. Agree with me, STSA family. It would be great to be able to control time. Remember when we were kids, see how old you are. Remember uh, Saved by the Bell, Zach Morse? Oh, he would go time out, okay? It would be great to be able to do that. Just as an uncomfortable situation, time out, fast forward, and get to choose whatever time it is that you want. It certainly would be great. Answer this question for me right now in your head. If you could control time, if you could add an extra day, if I could say like you could go like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then before Friday, throw another Thursday in there. So you could like have two Thursdays or maybe an extra Sunday. If you could control time, if you could add time, if you are in control of time, what would you do with the extra time? What would you do? Pray. <laughs> okay, we got one for pray. What would you do? Some people would say rest. Okay, we agree, rest. Maybe we'd read, we'd pick up a book. Remember those things, books? Okay, maybe those things that we love to do. Maybe we would spend time with our parents. Maybe we would spend time with our kids. Maybe we'd go out on a date with our spouse. Like if you could control time, I hope you have an answer in your head of something that you would do, okay? You'd pray, you'd maybe read more of the Bible. You would do something very beneficial, correct? That's what you would do if you had more time, right? Finish my orders. Finish my orders, okay, that's not, okay. You say that you would do something beneficial. That's what everyone is thinking right now, right? Wrong. I'm here to tell you in the kindest way possible that you are wrong, and that's not what you would do. I know exactly what you would do. Do you know what you would do? You would do exactly what you're doing right now. You do the exact same thing that you're doing now. So you... It's nice to think that, yes, you know what, we would spend that more time with God, and we would spend that quality time with our parents, or we would do those things that we haven't done in so long. It's nice to think that, but I got proof for you. Tell me the last time you had a day off, eight hours free, did you do any of those things? Or did you, probably like I would have done, is just find more tasks and more errands. Did you have one day off and plan three days worth of errands in that one day? 
Did you, when you had an hour between here and there, did you do those high quality things? Did you spend time with your Bible? Did you, did you spend time in prayer? Did you spend time with the quality that you were saying? Or did you simply more emails, more tasks, more commitments, more, 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 busy, 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 busy. Because what I say is this, I think the problem isn't that we need more hours. I think the problem is how we choose to spend the hours that we're given. The problem isn't that we need, that's what we think. We think I don't do, Father Anthony, I would do those things if I had more hours. God, I would do those things if I had more hours. Children, I would love to. Parents, I would love to. I would do those things if I had more hours. The problem is outside of me. And I say, false. The problem is not outside of me. The problem is me. The problem is inside me. And if you give me an extra day, give me an extra week, you give me an extra month, I will find a way to do the exact same thing that I am doing now. And that's what we're talking about in this series. In case you missed last week, we're talking about a series called Busy, Busy, Busy. And the whole point of this series is how to increase our margin, how to add margin in our life. And last week, I showed a picture up on the screen about a garage. It was a horrifying picture if you were here last week. It was a garage. Remember to see the picture in my head? The cluttered garage where there was just so much stuff on top of everything. And as soon as I showed the picture, I could tell who was the people who, like me, got a little bit of that obsessive compulsive inside. It, like, it increased my stress just looking at the messy garage and the clutter. And you feel like, I can't do it. I can't breathe when I'm in there. And how many of us, we feel that way about our desk? Our desk has to be cleaned. Everything's messy, messy, messy. Well, I'm saying it's not a garage or a closet where we can't find our shoes or our outfit or our desk. It's our lives. And our lives are that way. And our lives are cluttered. And if that's the case, we're missing out. And this is why I, I, I want to do this series right now in particular. Because as I said last week, it, wasn't less, it was less than two years ago. Two years ago, we all said the same thing. Less than two years ago when COVID hit. Before COVID, we were so busy, so busy, so busy, so busy. COVID hit. Life stopped on a dime. And we all said, I'm never going back to that. I won't do show of hands. But how many of us said, I'm never going back to that. This is great. I'm never going back to that. And here we are, 18 months later, back to that and more. Life is today not as busy as it was before. It is more busy because now we don't have to commute. <laughs> like before, we had a long work day and commute. Now we got rid of the commute. So we doubled the amount of time. Okay, whatever the commute was, we added that on top of our work day at home and we just added more stuff. Our kids don't have any less commitments today. They have more commitments, but now there's just more safety protocols on the way to the commute. Remember your mask and take the this and take the test and whatever it is. We did not use our extra time to do quality things. We are just as busy as we ever were. And can I tell you the worst part of it? Let me tell you the worst part of it. Not only are we busier than ever, if we're honest, we're proud of our busyness. As I said last week, we think of busyness as like, like when people want to compliment me, like Father Anthony, I know you're so busy, but when you meet someone, that someone that you think is, you know you're so, we use it as a compliment, as like a badge of honor. But who said being busy is a, is a good thing? No joke, true story, true story. One time a kid came to me in confession. Kid was nine years old. And I know this because I asked him after he said this. I asked him, how old are you? He said he's nine years old. A nine-year-old came to me in confession, confessed whatever it was. And then I asked him the question, do you pray? Do you pray? It's a normal question. You ask a kid nine years old. You know what the kid said to me? No joke. He said, no, Father Anthony, it's just a busy time these days. And I said, you're nine. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Where did the kid learn this? It's busy these days. Where did he learn that? He learned it from us. He learned it from us. Because the most important people are clearly the busiest. That's how we operate. 
that the one who is busy clearly is doing important things. Shame on us. Shame on us. Shame on us. Because not only are we teaching our kids the wrong thing, but we are missing out. Because as I said last week, the best things in life happen where? In the margins. The best things in life happen in the margins, not in the mess. That's why, as we talked about last week, God commanded margin. Three times in the Old Testament, God commanded that we take margin in our life. Number one, tithing. Number two, Sabbath. And three, gleanings. We talked about that last week. God said, just because you have all this money, you don't go to the edges. You leave margin. You use this, you leave this. Just because you have these seven days, you don't use them all the way you want to. You leave margin. You use these six, you leave on the edges for God. And same thing with the gleanings. When you harvest your, your, your field, you don't go all the way to the edges and pick up every little grape and blueberry and raspberry that fell. You go, you do the middle piece, you leave the outside. You always leave margin. Because God knows what it is that fulfills us in life. It's not more, it's more margin is where we will find true fulfillment. St. Paul says it this way, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Today we're going to talk about how to have margin in our time. And in case you didn't know, the most valuable commodity on the earth, the most valuable commodity that you own is time. It's not money. It's not any material possession. Time is more valuable because its, it's, it's value is in that you cannot get any more of it. Anything else in life, including money, if you need it, you could find a way to create more. If you need it, you could find a way to get more money. You cannot get more time. The rich, the poor, the tall, the short, the old, the young, we all have the exact same amount of time. And once it's gone, it's gone. Therefore, I say it is the most valuable thing on this earth. And what St. Paul says here is the definition of a foolish person versus a wise person. A foolish person doesn't know how to value their time. And a wise person knows how to make the most of, how to redeem the time. And today we're going to see how we can live as those wise people, not as those fools. Now, what I'm not going to do today, before I get into it, okay, what we're going to talk about, let me tell you what I'm not going to do. Because you think here I'm talking about time, and we don't have enough time to create margin. What I'm not going to talk about is time management. I'm not going to talk about techniques or how to have a better calendar system or, or a better note. Uh, the, the problem that we usually have when it comes to time is we usually think, back to the garage example, how can I squeeze more in that garage? So if I organize it this way or I put this over there or I buy this or I, I subscribe to this, I can fit more in there. And I'm all for time management and I'm all for techniques and setting goals and planners. I have my system and I, I'm happy to share that with anyone anytime. But that's not the problem. The problem isn't how do we get more stuff in the garage? The problem is the exact opposite. How do we get stuff out of the garage? How do we declutter the garage so that we only put in there the things that we absolutely need and get rid of the other junk that is killing us and sucking our life? And for that, we're going to look at the example of Moses. Moses, the prophet from the Old Testament. And the first thing you're thinking is, Moses, what is Moses who lived a billion years ago, going to teach me about how to have more margin in the 21st century? How does Moses know anything about my time and my commitments and life in D.C. area in 21st century? Let me show you one verse about Moses. Once you read this verse about Moses, I guarantee you, you will want to do whatever Moses did when I show you this one verse. Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. And his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Moses, a buck twenty. 
and his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. This to me, this is street cred right here. Okay, what this says is, whatever Moses did, I want that. Because most of us, once we hit a third of Moses' age, once we hit 40, we got to go to the Costco and get the glasses, okay, and turn on the lights we can't see, and we do like this. I never understood how this would make it easier to see, but somehow we do this, and we don't even get to half his age before our eyes go out. And that's just his eyes. It says he's got natural vigor, did not diminish at 120 years old. So what I'm going to say about Moses... Moses has perspective. Moses lived a full life, and Moses was clearly able to make the most of that life and keep out the things that would eat away at his life. And the reason why, a little context on Moses before we jump into what I want to, I want to read, Moses really kind of had three lives. So Moses has kind of seen the whole spectrum. 120 years old, 40, 40, 40. The first 40 years of his life, he lived as the prince of Egypt in Pharaoh's house. He was the, the, supposed to be next in line after the great Pharaoh. Okay, So he had everything. He had riches. He had pleasures. He had anything that he wanted in full abundance. But then Moses, one day God pulled, put it in his heart to redeem his people. And he said, I care about my, my fellow people, even though I'm free, they're slaves, no good. He went out and tried to free his people and he committed murder. He killed an Egyptian guy who was given a hard time to a Hebrew. Pharaoh didn't like this very much. Pharaoh said, okay, you took a life of one of ours. I'm going to take your life. Moses had to run for his life. And Moses spent the next 40 years of his life in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, being a shepherd. What is it like to go from living in Pharaoh's house to being a shepherd in the middle of nowhere? I would, anyone here from Montana? Montana. Okay, I figured Montana. I don't want to insult anyone right here. I don't know who's watching this wherever, but I don't know anyone in Montana. Like, I don't know any human being from Montana, so I'm going to be safe here. This is like going from living in Manhattan, New York City, to going to Montana for a 40-year assignment. Think about this. Back to the consulting world or any, any world, uh, project world. We get a two-month assignment that we don't like, and we complain. This is the worst assignment ever. We're here for two months. i got to be in this two months. Moses got a 40-year assignment in Montana. No offense to anyone in Montana. And his whole job right there, like before he was in the palace and things were going and people were kissing his hand and kissing his feet and he said things and things happened. Now he's out in Montana. What's your job in Montana? You got three cows. Cow A, cow B, cow C. You take cow A from there, you walk him over there. And then you take cow B from there, you walk him over there, and then C from there to there, and you go to sleep. You wake up in the morning and you do the exact same thing. That was Moses' life. If you're now Moses, you had the good life, and then you had the miserable life, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm 80 years old now. My life is pretty much over. Like, you're 80. And the likelihood of getting a new assignment at age 80 is pretty slim. But then we know Moses' third phase of his life was when God called him, burning bush. You're going to redeem my people, but not the way you thought, the way I thought. Now you're going to go back to Pharaoh. Now you're going to be my mouthpiece. Now you're going to stand in front of him and say, let my people go. We've all seen the movie. And we know what happens with the 10 plagues and everything like that. And Moses was now, again, back to sort of living the good life in a different kind of a way, being used by God in a powerful way. But as we know, it didn't last very long because once Moses freeze the people, they enter the wilderness, kind of go sour real quick. The people do that whole golden calf thing, okay, and it ends up in a lot of problems. People complain to Moses. People complain about Moses. And basically what God says, Moses, you're going to wander the desert for these 40 years, these last 40 years of your life, and you're never going to enter that promised land. And Moses, 
you're going to get to the top of the mountain and you're going to be able to see it, but you're not going to be able to enter. That's why it's good he had good eyesight, okay? Because he had to see it. He couldn't actually enter the promised land. And there Moses dies. So what I want to tell you about Moses is Moses had perspective. So now I'm going to show you a passage that Moses wrote. It's actually a psalm. Moses wrote one of the psalms. Usually we think of the psalms as like all by King David. King David did not write all the psalms. He wrote most of them, but some of them were written by others. Like Solomon wrote psalms. Okay, a musician named Asaph wrote psalms. And Moses wrote one psalm in which he gives us tremendous perspective on time and how we make decisions. It's from Psalm chapter 90. It says this. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I just want to stop right there because I love the way Moses sets the context for this psalm. He's going to talk to us about time. He's going to talk to us about our schedules. But before I get into the details of the schedule, Moses is telling us, let's draw a timeline. Let's get the context. Like, let's start at the, the, the 50,000 foot, and then let's zoom into your life. So the big picture context is not my life. I was born in 1976, and I'm going to die in what, 2000 or whatever. That's not the context of the story. The story from everlasting. And it ends when? From everlasting. So right off the bat, Moses says, look, 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 look. Before you start getting into, but I have this deliverable and I have this. But I said, look, look, look. The big picture is God exists from everlasting. It's everlasting. And I want you to find yourself in a timeline. Let's say this wall from that door to that door, okay, is a timeline of everlasting to everlasting. Find yourself in that timeline. How big would you be? From everlasting to everlasting. You'd be, boop. Your whole life, your 80 years, 90 years, a buck 20, whatever it is, that whole thing, from everlasting to everlasting, boop, just a little done. That's not how we think. He goes on, verse 3. He says, you, again, talking God, context, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, just as a side note right here, if I am ever cast in an action movie, and I need to be an action hero, this is my line, okay? Because this is a great action hero line. Return to dust, like fighting, 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 and then ha, return to dust, you mortals. Like there's no comeback from return to dust, you mortals. And that's what it says right here. Return to dust, you mortals. Meaning like God is above all the stuff. Verse four. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You know how we say, you know, the days fly by. Like, where has time, like, you know, just, it just seems like just yesterday, it was 2020. Or just yesterday, my kids were in diapers. Or just yesterday, it was, you know, when we were kids. You know what God says? God says, God does, we say, where do the years go? God says, where do the centuries go? Like, well, the 1900s, oh yeah, those were, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember the 1900s. They, they were very quick. Like, it was, just, it was just 1642 last week, you know? Seems just like it. Like, that's God. Like us, we hear, but God, centuries, millennia, put a drop in the bucket from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 5. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. I know this verse is going to sound not uplifting, but I promise you it will be. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. 
you look at this, and this kind of sounds depressing because Moses is kind of saying, like, your life isn't really worth that much. It's kind of here today and gone tomorrow. But I don't see this as depressing. I see this as true. Like, this is the truth. Like, this is not like, how, how dare God say that my... No, this is, this is factual. Because in the context of everlasting to everlasting, with all due respect, me, I'm here today, gone tomorrow, and my problems and my busy and my schedule and my commitments and all that stuff, that's nothing. That's just a, that's just a, a, a flash in the pan. That's nothing. We're going to fast forward to verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Moses is saying, is like, look, our time on this earth, it's great, but you know what? The majority of it is trouble and it's sorrow and it's work and it's hard. And we look at that and say like, yes, we, like, we can relate to that because our lives are hard. And of course, Moses was much harder. But, you know, just get the context. Verse 11. Now, this is a hard verse. Stick with me here. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. That's a strange verse. Okay, this is one of those verses that if you have a different translation of the Bible, you can find five different translations and they all say this in a very different way. Because it's really hard to express this in English. But let me tell you how I would paraphrase it. What he is saying is, God, if we could see you as you really are, we would give you the reverence that you are due. That's what he's saying. If we could see God as he really is, we would reverence him and fear him and honor him the way he's due. In other words... If we truly saw God as he is, it would change the way we spend our time. It would change our priorities. It would change the decisions we make on a Thursday in the middle of the day when we're tired or a Saturday when we have nothing in front of us. It would change the way that we looked at time. If we saw life as truly everlasting to everlasting and us given just a slice of it and knowing that our time is limited, that we're here today and gone tomorrow as a piece of grass that pops up and then by the time you come home from work, that piece of grass is gone. If we truly viewed our life in that context, we'd make different decisions. And that's why the punchline is verse 12. All that was setting us up for verse 12. And I want this to be a verse that we walk away with. And hopefully we can memorize because this, I'm telling you, this verse is a game changer. If we can really ingrain this in our hearts and change the way we think this verse, Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me say this expression in a different way. Teach us to number our days. Let me say that in a different way. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Because they are. Teach us, Lord, to live as if our days are numbered. Because they are. And if we're honest, this is the opposite of how we normally live. Let's be honest. We live today as if our time is infinite. We live today, we treat our parents. Let's be honest. We treat our parents as if they will be here forever. And we neglect to spend time with the people that we love because they'll be here forever. We treat our children as if they'll be in our home forever. We treat our spouse as if she'll be there forever. We treat our health as if we're always going to have it. It's never going to run out. We take these things for granted. But Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to live knowing that my health is here today, but it may not be here tomorrow. So let me make the most of it. 
My parents are here today, but they may not be here tomorrow, so let me make the most of it. My marriage, my, 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 my spirit, okay, my ability to spend time with you and read your word is here today and gone tomorrow, so let me make the most of it. And you say to yourself, okay, that's nice in theory. Is it possible? Is it possible to truly live today as if our days are numbered? How do you do that? And I tell you that you've already done it. You know exactly how it's done. First of all, if you're a parent, specifically if you're a mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you were pregnant, you knew that there was a definitive end to that period. That here I am today, and I have only a limited period of time until this happens. You had a countdown. Or let's not say pregnant. Let's say wedding day. Remember your wedding day? How did you approach your wedding day? Only 37 more days till my wedding day. You know, gotta, gotta lose the, the extra 15 pounds or gotta get the flower vendor or gotta whatever, only 36 days left. You lived in such a way that you knew there was a hard stop and you numbered your, you lived every day as if your time was numbered until that day or an exam or a deadline at work, whatever it may be. You know how to do this. We've all done it. What Moses is saying here, what if we lived all life that way? Not just when we're about to get married. Not just when we're pregnant. Not just when we have an exam. What if we lived all life that way? As if our days are numbered. Knowing the exam example. Knowing that I have an exam in a week or an exam in a year will change the decisions I make today. Like if I know my exam is next week, Versus my exam is in a year. It's going to change the decision. Like, that's wisdom. That's perspective. That, you know what? I can't go out to eat today because I got an exam in a week. Versus I got an exam in a month. Versus I got an exam in a year. Then that can, like that's perspective and that's the wisdom that he's talking about. That's why numbering our days is not to make our lives more restricted. It's actually to help us avoid misusing the limited time that we have. Said another way. Remembering that our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remembering that our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. It's like money. Knowing that I've only got $3 left in my pocket makes me much wiser in how I use those $3. But if I think the money is unlimited, I'm not going to spend it in a wise way. With me so far? Now what I'm going to do right now for the rest of our time, I'm going to do you a tremendous favor. Everyone say, thank you, Father Anthony. Say, thank you, Father Anthony. No, say it like you mean it, like I just did you the greatest favor on the planet. Say, thank you, Father Anthony. Thank you, Arlington, I want to hear you say, thank you, Father Anthony. Everyone say it. Thank you, Father Th You're welcome. Because what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm going to give you a piece of wisdom that you are going to thank me for. I guarantee you're going to thank me for what I'm about to share with you right now. Because I'm going to give you some wisdom that most people don't have till they get to the end of their life. I'm going to give you wisdom that you, when you get to the end of your life, you're going to have this wisdom. But most people only have it at the end, not during the time when they need it, when they're making the decisions. I'm going to give you that perspective. And how I'm going to do that? Anyone ever heard of a lady named Bronnie Ware? Anyone ever heard of Bronnie Ware? No one's read the book by Bronnie Ware, okay? Because we're so busy, 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 we don't have time to read. Bronnie Ware is a palliative care nurse who wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. I don't know anything about the lady, but once I see this title, I got to read this book. Because I hold, my whole goal in my life is to get to the end and not have any regrets. That's the goal. That's, that's your mission statement. Okay, you want to make sure you get to the end and you don't look back and say, I wish I had. That would be too much for me. 
Bronnie Ware is a palliative care nurse who spent time with people in the last, last days of their life. Not the people who have like months to live. She spent time with people who had less than 12 weeks to live. This is who she would spend time with and oftentimes it was people like in their last days. And she would ask them the question, do you have any regrets? And she wrote a book about her findings. And in it, she talks about the top five things that she collected during that time. And I'm telling you, there is wisdom and perspective in listening to someone who is on that end of the spectrum. And they look back and say, I wish I had known when I was in the middle. Here we are in the middle. And when we get to the end, what is it that we had wished we had known? I'm going to give you the top two regrets. Okay, you can get the book and you can read the top five. I'm going to give you the top two things that people said, I wish, I wish, I wish I had known. I wish I had done. And when I give you these two, one of them should be no surprise. One of them you can guess right off the bat. And I'll, see, I'll show you that right now. That's the number two. But the number one, is pro I promise you, might surprise you. The number two regret that people had, this is, should be no surprise. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This is no surprise. Like this was an easy one. This is a no-brainer. No one is going to get to the end of life and say, I wish I had worked hard. I spent more. No one's going to get there. People are going to get to the end and say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I'm going to show you a quote that she wrote from the book. And I want everyone to pay special attention, but especially the men in this room to pay attention. And I want to show you the quote. You'll see why men, you need to pay attention. She says this. She says, this regret came from every male patient that I nursed. This regret came from every male patient. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Also, this regret, but as many were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men nursed, all of the men nursed, deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. I don't need to explain much there. What this says to me, to everyone, but men especially. Like men, you have no choice but to pay attention to this because it says 100% of men. But ladies, pay attention too. But I'm saying men, you have no choice. If you don't learn how to number our days, you will end your life with a 100% avoidable regret. If you don't learn how to number your days, you will end your life with a 100% avoidable regret. Because if you act today as if you have all the time in the world, you will soon realize that you don't, but the problem is you can't go back. So you know what? If you're newly married, you only got one shot to be newly married. Can't go back. You're newly married, you're in the first few years of your marriage, this is your time. You got no kids, okay? You're building the foundation for the rest of your life. This is your time, you can't get that back. If you don't build a good foundation, you can't get that back. You're single right now, this is the only time you're gonna be single. Like this is your chance, you can't go back, okay? So this is your chance. And what does God want from you during this time? You can't go back and say, oh, now I wish I had gone back during that time. And I wish I had lived this way. And I wish I had made these decisions. You can't. You can't go back. As I said, your health can't go back. Your parents around can't go back. And when we get to the end and we start numbering our days literally, when we get to the literal end and we see only a few days left, this is one that people often regret. The top regret, this is the one that may surprise you. The top regret was, I wish I had the courage to, li to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Yeah, that's worth an mmm. 
In other words, what she's saying is, I wish I didn't care so much about pleasing people. I wish I didn't, I wish I didn't read so many blogs about how I should spend my life. Listen to so many podcasts of other people telling me, no, this is the way you should spend your life. And this is the way you should raise your kids. And this is how you should. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I had spent more time being who God made me to be and living the life God had for me, not the life God had for somebody else. He says it this way. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and they look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom few realize until they no longer have it. You're welcome. I just did you a favor. I just helped you to see yourself on your deathbed and to see how you're going to be thinking. But now you get to do something about it. Now, before I wrap up right here, where do we go with this? What do we do with this? We're all sitting there and we're saying, yes, we need to teach us, Lord, to number our days. We don't want to live with these regrets. We want to, we, we want to take control of our lives now while we can do something about it. Once you decide to start living with an eternal perspective, let me tell you what is going to happen immediately. Once you start to make decisions to add more margin in your life, let me tell you immediately, immediately what is going to happen and it's probably happening to some of you right now as we speak. Remember how I told you last week that the root of busyness is fear. The reason that we live these lives is because we have fear. Because fear comes, but you know, Father Anthony, I wouldn't work so much, but I'm afraid that. I wouldn't overcommit, but I'm afraid that. I don't want to sign my kids up for that, but I'm afraid that if I don't, fear is what creeps in. So let me kind of get ahead of this and show you some of the fears that are going to jump in your mind. You're going to say, but I'm afraid that if I do, I'm not going to make it. I'll never make it. I'll never make it. Well, let me ask you a question. What's it? I'll never make it. What's it? If you're going to spend your whole life chasing something, you should at least define what it is, right? Like, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to make it. Make what? What is it that you're chasing? Dying people will tell you that you better now make sure you choose the right it because you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize, watch this one, that you are the fastest one to cross the wrong finish line. Or you were the first one to the top of the ladder and then realized the ladder was on the wrong building from the start. What is it? Or two, I'll fall behind. I'll fall behind. But I'm afraid that I'll fall behind. And my question is, fall behind who? Fall behind what? Like, who's chasing you? What are you running from? What are you trying to get? Like, I'm where I'm going to fall behind. I want my kids to fall behind. We got to keep, like, who are we trying to keep up with? How about this one? I'll be poor and miserable. But if I do, I'll be poor and I'll be miserable. I'll be poor and miserable. Now, let me start by saying here, I realize there are some people who have to work a little bit extra hard, have no margin in their life because they got to put food on the table. So I don't want to take away from that. But I want to say this. Truthfully, truthfully, I never met anyone. I never met anyone. And I met a lot of people. I never met anyone. I never met anyone who ever told me when they look back on their life, my life would have been better if I had more money. I never met anyone who looks back at their life and says the problem in my life was that I didn't have enough money. I never met anyone. Who says that's the reason that my life? Usually it's the exact opposite. We had the money, but what it cost us was much more expensive. How about this? I won't be accepted. 
I won't be accepted. My kids won't be accepted. My kids will be shunned. I'll be shunned as the mom who doesn't have their kid in Taekwondo or doesn't have their kid learning Spanish immersion, okay? Because again, like we said last week, how can you show up at kindergarten without knowing only one language? You know what I mean? I don't mean this in an insulting way, but like we're not in high school anymore. Even though I realize there are some high school kids here, but <laughs> poor choice of words. But you know what I'm saying? Like remember, high school kids will appreciate this. Remember when we were in high school, how we did stuff so that people would accept us and we don't care about those people. We don't like those people. And remember, like, the we'll keep in touch. We'll keep in touch. 15 minutes after graduation, we never kept in touch. We don't even know their names. But they controlled our decisions for four years. Like, come on. Is that what we're doing now? We're letting other people dictate our don't care about, people that we don't like, people we won't even know in 15 minutes? Last one. I won't measure up. Now, you already know what I'm going to say. Measure up to what? What's the standard? Measure up to who? If you're going to ch spend your life chasing something, it's worth your time to at least define it. I'll give you another piece of advice. One of the ways that you can start living, teach me, Lord, to number my days, living as if your days are numbered. You can change, make one small change in your vocabulary that can make a great difference in the way you spend your time. Stop asking yourself the question, am I free? Instead ask, is this wise? Let me tell you how this works. Sometimes people come to me and say, hey, Father Anthony, what are you doing next Thursday? I don't like that question. I don't like that question. Because it doesn't matter what I'm doing next Thursday. Like, tell me what you want from me, and I may not have anything on Thursday, but I don't want to do that. But just because there's nothing in my calendar doesn't mean I want to go to whatever little thing you're trying to invite me to. So there's someone who starts with, what are you doing? What are you doing on May 30th? That's not how we start the conversation. I don't care whether I'm free or not free, whether I can or I can't. The question I'm going to ask myself, is this wise? So you don't, someone comes and says, I need you to do this on this, or you should sign up for this, or um, sign your kids up for this. Not am I free Am I free every Wednesday night for the rest of my life? Not am I able to make it there on Thursday nights. Is this wise? Is it wise to sign up for another commitment given that I already coach soccer and my kids are already over-involved? Not am I able to do it, but is it a wise decision? Is it wise to go out to that social engagement knowing that I was out on Monday, I was out on Tuesday, I was out on Wednesday, I hadn't spent time in prayer or with my Bible in weeks? Is it wise? Someone's inviting you for the weekend away, whatever, and it sounds like fun. Are you free? Okay, I may be free, but is it wise given that I traveled the weekend before and I got that travel in and I haven't been to church in about a month. So is it wise to go away? Not am I free. Stop asking am I free. The goal isn't who has the most stuff in his calendar. Is it wise? That's why margin is so important. Because I promise you, if you don't have margin in your life, then people will ask you things. So I just gave you the negative example. When someone asks you to do something that isn't wise, but imagine the inverse. When someone comes and says, you need to do this, and you look at your calendar and say, sorry, not able. It's already cluttered. It's already filled. When we fill up on the junk stuff, when the garage is full of too much clutter, then the good stuff can never find its way in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we are trying to avoid. So here's your homework assignment. Very simple. Your homework assignment, again, if you're a consultant, you've seen this before. You want to go through this exercise. 
And I encourage you, if you're married, do it with your spouse. If you've got kids, do it as a family. But everyone needs to do it. And you need to ask yourself, what is in my life I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need more of? What does I need less of? Those are the four questions you ask yourself. Take you five minutes to do. And my guess is right off the top of your head, you can probably think of at least one or two things that you need to stop doing. And it's not just activities. You could write people's names in here. Sorry. But let's be honest. There's, there are certain people in our lives who need to be in the minus category because they are a time sucker for us. And every time we, more time we spend with them, the worse we feel about ourselves, the more they rob us of the things in life that are valuable. And there's some people who are on the opposite, who are on the plus, that anytime we're with them, we're lifted up. That our marriage is better after hanging out with these people. That our relationship with God is better after hanging out with these people. So they need to be on the plus, they need to be on the minus. TV may need to be somewhere on here. May not to be minus, may, may, doesn't need necessarily be zero, but maybe it needs to be on the little bit less than. And maybe the reading needs to be on that little bit more of. You see how this exercise works? What is that I need to stop doing? What I need to start doing? What does I need to do more of? What does I need to do less of? I encourage you to go through this exercise. And it's not a matter of, is this right or is this wrong? It's not a matter of, is this good or is this bad? Is this wise given where I'm at in life? Because our theme verse here today Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Can we say that together? But we say it like a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's one of the best verses in the scripture, and I'm telling you, you hold that in front of you. Teach us, Lord, to live today as if our days are numbered because they are. Teach us to treat our relationships and the things around us as if our days are numbered because they are. And I promise you, if that's our mindset, that's where true wisdom will come from. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you gave to us through the prophet Moses. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Give us that heart of wisdom and that perspective that we need so we can live a full life and not one that we get to the end with regrets and I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. Lord, help us to take each and every single day as a true gift from you and live it to the fullest according to your will for us. We ask these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.